Welcome to Power Through, a podcast for marginalized women to come together to learn, listen, and explore our experience at our particular intersection of womanness and everything else we are seen as in society. Power Through Racism. In this episode, I am in conversation with Tiana Jarrett Williams of Tiana J Photography. We discuss all things racism, including the differences and similarities between racism in the U.S. and the U.K. We also talk about anti-Blackness in the Black community, photography, and even soul food. This is a conversation between two mothers speaking openly and candidly. There are some baby cries in the background. Hey, thanks for joining us on Powers Through. Today we're talking to Tiana and we met on a Facebook group and we've been friends for almost four years now. That's like, has it really been that long? So long. And we have had a lot of conversations um, on Facebook and through Messenger and, you know, we have a lot in common, but we're also very different. And so I think this will be a really good conversation. So Tiana, do you want to just say a little bit about yourself? So hi everyone, I'm Tiana. Obviously I'm all the way in England, so way across the pond. Um, it's actually 9.30 now, so getting ready for bed. One of the things that I admire about you is the fact that you are, you're quite humble. You don't like to talk about yourself much. You just do the work, you know? Um, one of the greatest things that I've had the, the privilege of watching you do is grow as a photographer. So can you tell me a little bit about what got you into photography? What did you want to change about photography if you could change anything? Mm -hmm. Well, I am a midwife, so that was what I did before. Um, So not particularly very creative at all. I mean, a lot of people say, gosh, how did you go from midwifery to photography? But um, yeah, and it started out of kind of wanting to have a bit more time with my daughter. So um, I had my first daughter in 2016 and I went back to work after a year or just under a year of maternity leave. Um, And I guess I just struggled with sort of the work-life balance of sort of being a mum, breastfeeding, you know, trying to sort of fit that in with a, a work pattern that wasn't as flexible as I'd like. Um, I had a camera by that point and I just sort of played with it. I didn't really ever think that I'd, you know, sort of run down this rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that kind of tracks you in. Everyone I talk to that's a photographer is like, yeah, I just picked up a camera and then was like, okay, let's do this. And then they just kind of take off with it. Yeah. It's an addiction. You know, I, I, I ended up being added into like, um, a Facebook group by um, another mum who's a breastfeeding mum. We all seem to meet in these Facebook groups. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, wow, this is a whole world of, of different things you can shoot. And I just, I just fell in love with the creativity and the idea that I could, you know, work around my family. So eventually I kind of took the leap and left midwifery, which I never, ever imagined I would do. I was kind of a, I'm going to be a midwife and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my life to you know, birthing women. Um, Which is such an important thing, right? Like it's an admirable goal to have. Yeah. But I think just from what I know about you, I think that photography is 
something that has given you like beyond the flexibility a way to influence the pictures that are out there definitely you know and I didn't realize that was gonna kind of come out of it all I didn't think about it at the time but you know as I started to sort of look around me and think gosh where where are all the photographers that look like me I see you know a lot of older white men um yeah and it's kind it, it of strange funny. <laughs> <laughs> really strange right um and so I just thought gosh this this isn't right you know and a lot of the you, you go to conventions and you know you see all these big photography events and I'm like gosh I can count how many black females attend these things and there's very few and I guess in a way that kind of made me easy to spot as I sort of did a little bit more with my photography people got to know me online and then you know, I'd attend one of these shows and everyone's like, oh my God, it's Tiana. Um, but then at the same time, <laughs> they'd see another black female photographer and assume it's the same person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all up to my, that's like, racism, right? <laughs> yeah, we all look you, the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, when you just think to yourself, oh my God, this is really, you know, that's just not, it's really hard to deal with because you just can't, it's everywhere. It you know? is. And, there's times when I think I really just don't want to bother with all of this because you can't get away from it. Well, we can't anyway, right. you know. Um, it's painted on us, right? Definitely. And it's, it really gets you down sometimes, you know what I mean? And with like the photos that I take, I see these women, especially when, you know, I love getting clients, like black clients come to me and they say, you know, I really want you to take these photos of me this way and I want you to make me look like me because they don't see that anywhere else and they trust me to do that. Yeah, I think it's such an important part of life, right? Like the the whole point, uh, the whole reason that I um, started uh, was like, let's just do a podcast, right? It was um, because of how many of my friends and me experience this stuff like in as we go through the world as black women but also as black mothers mm. and it's a distinct difference it's distinct intersection um because especially uh, the way that we met was through a birth a breastfeeding group mm-hmm. um but in anything that you do it's kind of natural parenting wise it's not really for us no you know it's all white women it's all been really whitewashed, baby wearing, cloth diapering, all of that has been really whitewashed. And one of the things when I started working for the company that I work for now, well, even before then, really, um, I was content creator for them and I created a blog for them that was about representation and how representation is so important. Mm. But it's not just representation for my kids or me, <laughs> it's representation for white people. To show them that they're not the only people that do it, you know? Yeah. But I've experienced so much racism. Um, So for any of the listeners out there who don't know about me, I am part British as well and have lived in um, the UK and America pretty equally through my life. Um, But my experience is much different than Tiana's because she's a dark black woman and I'm a mixed race woman. So I have some proximity to whiteness. Um, and I was, when I talk about being mixed race, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. I've had to kind of reconcile in myself that my experience is different, but it's mm. the same. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to hear about your experience, what your experience has been in photography, but also mothering and living just regular life as mm-hmm. a black person living in like Birmingham's West Midlands, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not very good at geography. So <laughs> that was pretty good. Most people say, is that near London? And I'm just like, well, no, not really. But then I guess in the grand scheme of things, you know, London's only, what, 120 miles away. And, you know, for most Americans, they're like, that's nothing. To do that kind of drive, it's so long. Oh, my God, it's three hours. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's so long. Yeah, gosh, where do I start? <laughs> start with um, growing up. Like, what did you experience growing up? Because we're about the same age, I think. Yeah. Um, I think my earliest memory of racism was we were on holiday in France. And, um, oh, gosh, I can't even remember. We stayed in, like, I think there were, like, um, like holiday vans or something. Yeah. I can't quite remember now. Yeah, and, um, you know, there was loads of different families and children around and a little girl said to me she said um oh um why is that side of your hand white and the other side black and wow. I was really shocked because it's not something that I'd ever thought about before I didn't know what to say to her I was just like oh I don't know I was, I was born like that I guess um and she sort of carried on doing what she was doing and I remember just thinking oh my god I realized like wow I'm different not that I didn't know but it kind of just hit me in that moment and I sort of thought I mean I don't know I was just so surprised and I remember speaking to my parents about it and they were like that's how you're born but even they were sort of like gosh what do we even say to that what does that even mean you know yeah it just kind of left me feeling really strange and kind of not knowing if that's how I should be or you know? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I think, like similarly, but also different, right? Was um, having the talk mm-hmm. with my parents about why I'm brown and stuff. You know, it was never like they never broached the topic with me. It was mm-hmm. never like let's sit down and have a conversation about it. It was like, this thing happened, so now we have to talk about it, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I grew up in, like, a military family. And so we're surrounded by diversity pretty pretty well in the the military. But when I was 11, I was living in Texas and was in middle school, right? Um, And it was, like, my first day at school where I hadn't been going to school on like the Air Force Base. Okay. And I was at my locker and some person yelled the N-word at me. No. Yeah. And I was like, so I was like, knew it wasn't right, Mm. you know, but didn't really know why, Mm -hmm. you know, we never really had that real conversation in my house at that point my dad had remarried we hadn't really had that conversation and I was kind of like like I knew I was different you know 
but that was the kind of the day where it really hit me that this is what my life is going to be like outside of the military mm. you know yeah but yeah so I think that was just a moment in time where where I was like this is how life is going to be for me mm-hmm. and after that I think I was a lot more aware of the microaggressions because they had happened before Mm -hmm. but nothing ever I didn't ever really pay attention to him I was just like that person's just not a very nice person yeah and then you kind of put it in the back of your mind and lock it away and just sort of leave it there even though you know deep down something wasn't right about what happened yeah did you have any experiences like what I had in school or was school pretty like safe quote-unquote for you um the odd experience I wouldn't say I had that many my school was quite diverse um there were probably more Asian and black students than than white but I still I would say that most of interestingly enough some of the racism that I did receive came from some of the Asian students um early odd you know I had you know all the the racial slurs you can think of um that people would just you know feel really confident to throw around kind of thing and you just think my god like what is wrong with people they know that there's something wrong with it they know they shouldn't do that but they do and they know it hurts you know yeah but Um, I think that the I think the infighting is a common theme you know mm -hmm. so it's like all of the non-white groups right we all have mm-hmm. something, at least we're not whatever, you know? Yeah. And that, that, I think that that was more prevalent before um, the switch, for lack of a better term, <laughs> in governments in both the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that I think there was a lot more um, Blacks versus Asians and Blacks mm-hmm. versus Whites and all of this. Like, it was like, you know, all non-white groups versus white <laughs> now, you know, because, because especially here, like in the U.S., where when Donald Trump came in, it was just like some of the policies that he had, the separating of children at the border was really a time that I think a lot of black and brown people mm-hmm. were like, those are brown babies, those could be my babies. Yeah. And that kind of pushed us towards this we're in this together we're all one unit fighting this person (laughs) because at that point it was more of just like donald trump and his trumpeteers (laughs) you know (laughs) as boris and donald have kind of taken each country to like the right so far Mm. i think that the instance of racism i don't can't speak for there because i haven't lived there since 2014 Mm-hmm. But for here, I think the instance of overt racism, like really in your face, um, name calling, all of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. has really come back up to the surface, whereas before it was really like bubbling under. Mm, I would say it's similar. Yeah. I would definitely say there's more, you know, like hate crimes and, you know, people putting things in letterboxes and, you know, things like that that they because I think British people although I'm not I'm not saying that there isn't 
episodes of really in your face. Yeah. It definitely is. But I think there's far more sort of acts where, you know, they feel like they can't be found out who it was. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I feel like, um, when I lived over there, um, like one of the most kind of like really subtle forms of racism that I experienced there. So I used to work for a big coffee chain Mm -hmm. and, um, I moved from working in one location and inside a bookstore Mm-hmm. And the, the clientele kind of changes when you come off of the high street and into a bookstore, right? Because <laughs> like, bookstores are quite like sleepy and like really nice um, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But the clientele is usually much older and yeah. a lot more white. <laughs> um, no, but no. I was working at, I was working the tail. I was the only person on uh, behind the bar at this, at this mm-hmm. moment. And I was, I'm working the till and this lady came up and she was like, she ordered her drink. I put my hand out to get her change. And instead of putting it in my hand, she put it on the counter. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah. And, you know, for most people, they're like, I wouldn't even consider that as like a slight against you. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that most people will put the money in your hand because like, you're humans and you just yeah, exactly. touch each other like hello but, <laughs> but that was like a really subtle way of her saying I don't want to touch you mm-hmm. and it wasn't the first time like if this had been the first time I probably have been like okay like that was weird mm-hmm. but this is like the 10th time yeah and then by that point you're like yeah this is quite obviously people being yeah without like, saying no you're being you're like they're being awkward on purpose Mm. you know it It is absolutely and one of the things you know we talk about often um like off of here and (laughs) about (laughs) how people really like british people will say oh racism isn't very bad here and i'm like you sure you haven't been speaking to because that is not my experience or the experience of many other people you know they're quite live in their little bubble shall we say and when issues like this come up and we say well actually no you know racism is quite common if you ask people you will get answers and they're really like shocked as in oh my gosh i couldn't ever think that that would happen in this day and age like it's something that ended decades ago right it really hasn't it never stopped you know yeah it ended with like the ending of of slavery and you just think they don't even teach it in schools which is something that really grinds my gears but i think people think it's just a really old thing that doesn't happen anymore because they don't see it yeah, like the best, um, like kind of summary that I had from someone I asked, like in a Facebook group, like what they have, what they know about history, right? Mm-hmm. And like everyone knows that history is whitewashed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, all black people <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know, that, know that history is whitewashed yeah. because history is told by the people who win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I asked and someone summarized it and it was basically like um, for US history, they, the British people came over here, they had some slaves, they ended slavery, Abraham Lincoln ended slavery, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke and then racism was done and the last racist killed him. So he's in jail. <laughs> it's like, that's a perfect summary of oh what it's God. not, right? Because yeah. it misses out so many like big parts of history. Like, I'm, I still learn things about history that I didn't even know. Same. You know? Literally, like, that's stuff that I'm just like, wow, I didn't know about this. This is interesting and this is my own history. <laughs> yeah. And like, one of the things that I learned last year, but it's still pretty, you know, relevant right now, was that, um, the British Empire um, ended slavery, right? We're going to put that in like air quotes because <laughs> it didn't really end. It just changed. No. That's right. Um, but while they were saying to the, their British people and all of their colonies that they don't support slavery with their mouths, they were sending money to America for capital on slaves. Wow. Because Black people were able to be mortgaged. Yeah, so they became property. Right. And so yeah. that was a way for Britain to keep their hands clean. Well, again, we're using air quotes for that, <laughs> you know, um, without actually having slaves, but they're still supporting slavery, mm. you know? And I was like, no. And then recently I learned that the end of slavery paid people, you know, learning the real the really specific details about like real history raw uncut not gone through publishing house type history mm -hmm. you know um like i i learned recently that britain paid their slave owners to mm -hmm. free the slaves mm -hmm. um but that we still were paying that debt until 2015. yeah i think i shared that a couple of ago yeah and I was just like and I'd read about it before a couple of years ago and you know when you just look and think like this is absolutely this is criminal you know and it just sort of was swept under the carpet yeah and it's and like that, that wouldn't even have come out if someone didn't go I want I want to know about it through yeah. the Freedom of Information Act mm -hmm. like I didn't know about it and like I'm like I'm not even, you know, my black side isn't from England. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really have like a claim <laughs> to this, but I was like, black people paid twice to live in Britain. Mm -hmm. Their ancestors paid with their bodies That's and it. the current people that live in Britain paid with money. Yeah. And it's just like, <sighs> the weight of that information is just overwhelming it is it's like i read that and i sent it to my mother and i was like did you know this and she was like no <laughs> you know but it's like why aren't we being told the whole truth you know yeah i have a lot of theories about why they don't tell it in school but you know my biggest question is like how different could the world be if we did teach it in school yeah, I think the fact that they absolutely choose to omit this information is very, very purposeful. And if people knew it, I definitely think that 
I'm not saying that racism wouldn't exist, but I think people would completely have a different idea about how things happened, you know, and the belief that, you know, like people think, and I guess I even thought because I just didn't know, you know, people think that slavery happened and that's where black people came from. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds hilarious to us knowing what we know now, right? But like, mm. when you're not taught about the truth, you know, mm-hmm. and how basically Black people were stolen from their lands and stripped of all of their culture to be shipped around the world mm-hmm. to work for other people. Like, you know, and it was like, work is a very mild term <laughs> for what happened to them, you know? Because yeah. it's not like they just got on the boat and were like, let's go work somewhere. No, <laughs> like that wasn't, you know. We want to leave the place that we know and live up and, and call our home to go and, you know, it's, you know, and people still think that, you know, one thing that actually bugs me is when people say things like, but black people own slaves. And it's like, what do you expect me to do with that information? Yeah, like, you know, on. I feel like a lot of people think that we're so far removed from slavery, like that slavery happened in like the 1600s you know, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. And it was still going on in the 1800s, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's like, well, I'm I'm 32. So um, (laughs) it's like four generations ago, Uh you know, that's not that long. No, it's not. You know, it's not not that far removed, you know? I was having some conversations about like length of time because I feel like white people have a very different like view on how long things are, mm-hmm. right? For us, five years, when we're talking about race and stuff like that and the, the, the oppression that we have had and topped with the sexism and the misogyny and all of that mm-hmm. for us as Black women, mm-hmm. this has been going on for so long <laughs> for us that five years hasn't seemed that long. Yeah. But for white people that I've spoken to, five years seems like a long time. Yeah, it's because they just are completely oblivious to it. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in their experience of life. You know, yeah. I mean, the first time they hear about it, they're like, whoa, oh my gosh, like, you know, I just got to grow up and be me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, how different the experiences of white women to, mm-hmm us as black women you know how different their experience has been that they could just be like I wasn't even aware that this is a thing that went on yeah I mean like well when I was a child (laughs) like my first experience of this was when I was like what seven yeah (laughs) seven so you were a child and someone was racist to you yes (laughs) actually and it happens now when it happens to my own children and it happening to um my own child was one of the things that was like that kind of galvanized me to uh, start speaking a mm. lot more mm-hmm. about everything that has gone on in my life because <clears throat> he was two and someone called him a stupid black boy. No, you're joking me. No. <sighs> and like to have that conversation because he was two and like he understood enough to ask afterwards why that boy mm-hmm. wouldn't talk to him anymore. Yeah. You know, and to have that conversation at two years of age 
was huge, you know? I'm like, I thought I had, I thought I had five years at least, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to where he had a little bit more understanding, more logic. But I was stripped of that. And I had to have a really hard conversation with a two-year-old in terms mm-hmm. that two-year-olds understand. So it was more of like, you know, some people aren't going to like you because of what you look like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you didn't do anything wrong. That's just how some people are. And they're so innocent. And they're just like, but why, mommy? Right, exactly. And that hurts because there's no reason for it. People are just... Oh, it's just, it's, it's awful. It is. It's really it, hard. It is. Yeah. It happens to, to us. And, you know, obviously now we're older so we can we find a way not to say that we deal with it but you can understand it but looking at your child and they're asking you why somebody has said something to them like that is just it's yeah it does make you want to speak out because it hurts you put your life on your life on the line for your children and you know one of the most hurtful things that somebody could say to them and explain to to them why they did it when there's no reason why they did it other than to be nasty yeah exactly it's a learned thing Mm -hmm. and you know whenever any white mother usually are the people who are like well I want my children to be innocent for as long as possible and I'm like so did I Mm -hmm. you know but I didn't get that chance and you know if you're not having those conversations as parents right now then nothing ever changes right and if you're not correcting the information they're being given at school if your kids are of school age, then you're just perpetuating the misinformation. Definitely. You know? They won't grow up and recognize that it's a problem. And right. I've had with a couple of my friends, actually, in light of, you know, everything going on with George Floyd and, and all of that. And, and one of my friends was saying, you know, I really want to talk to my kids about this stuff. And I was saying it's really important that you do because when they're our age, they're not going to stand for it. They're not going to just kind of, oh, I'll just, oh gosh, that sounds horrible. Let me go over here and, you know, carry on with my life. They're going to turn around and say, actually, no, I'm not going to have you speak to somebody like that just because of the colour of the skin. But more people need to call it out, but it definitely starts at home with our children because we have those conversations with our children and we say to them, somebody is not going to like you because of what you look like. And, you know, the owners can't just be left up to us when we're the victims in that. That's right. Like we can't fix something that is for white people to fix. They created it. They need to fix it, you know? Definitely. And like, we can only do so much as black women. Mm-hmm. We can only do so much as black people, you know, That's right. whiter, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but really like for us, like we can only do so much as black women. We really need, we need our black men to stand up with us as well. Um, and then we need our white allies to do it too. Yeah. But like I and it's I I feel like sometimes the black female story is really untold, untapped, um, mm-hmm. as for like what we experience and especially with like the stereotypes that we get for being angry and <laughs> you oh know gosh. and that's one of the lines that literally boils my blood. You sound so angry. It's like what? Wouldn't you be angry? Right. Angry actually. Is that a problem? Yeah, but I mean, but even when you're not being angry, anytime that you make someone uncomfortable, that's what they go to. I can't talk to you when you're like this. Yeah, and it's like, wow. 
okay so I should just sit and be quiet and for your comfort shall I right that's and you know that's what they Mm. that's what they want but I think that that the whole like the black experience but really speaking to what we know about as black women is I think that that is what develops anti-blackness in ourselves Mm -hmm. and I think that that's what perpetuates the divides that we have Mm -hmm. and the reasons why most of the black community like generally I wouldn't say like my close group of black friends or anything but the black community as like a whole there's like we get it we get this happen to us and you get this happen to you and we don't really share a lot of there's not a lot of overlap but really there's so much overlap yeah there really is and I think that I was like, I know for sure, like until I was about 24, I had some some anti-blackness in me too, you know, where I was like, I don't want to be associated with that part of me. Like mm-hmm. I might look black, but I'm mixed, you know? <laughs> and I really did use it as like, as really a way to say, I'm not all the way black. Yeah, I get you. you know? And I'm like, that's not even a fair thing. Like now, as I'm like, you know, seven years later, eight years later, like that's not even a fair thing because, mm-hmm. because I might have a different experience to mm-hmm. you, but there's so much that we do share as an experience mm-hmm. that like in the black community, anti-blackness is a malignant tumor. Yeah. Um, you know? It's like with my children. Um they're a little bit lighter in skin tone than I am. Um, and people say things like, oh, you know, they're so beautiful. Is, is their dad white kind of thing? Like, they couldn't be beautiful children that are not dark yes. skin. There's nothing wrong with that, but they have to be mixed because they're beautiful and they've got really curly hair, so they must be mixed children. And I'm like, no, they're not. And there's nothing wrong with being mixed, but gosh, people just think that you can't be beautiful <laughs> otherwise. And yeah, I think this is coming from our own people. Yeah, and I, you know, that's what, that's, it's kind of um, what I experienced growing up as well as a mixed person was that I was always kind of fetishized mm-hmm. as like the ideal black person. Yeah. You know, like I had the perfect color skin and I had the perfect curly hair and I was palatable to white yeah. people, mm-hmm. you know, and my kids get comments like that all the time where people Mm. are like oh they're so beautiful their skin is caramel like this is like another thing (laughs) that I'm like you know this is the hill I will die on stop comparing skin colors to food items Mm. you know like be proud of being black I'm black and I'm proud right but I don't have to be chocolate or caramel or coffee or whatever right I don't call you peaches and cream (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> like you're white I'm brown you know like yeah. come on like just because I think that that is a way that we um have we as like a general western society have really fetishized black people mm-hmm. as like we are not people we're things things right still oh, like yeah we're chocolate, we're caramel, we're coffee, mm-hmm. we're things to be consumed. Yeah, and people think that that's a, it's a nice way to address you, and it's really not. I have a name, first of all. Right! I actually prefer to be called, hey, you, than, hey, caramel lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
my far. I'm just like, hey, don't even say anything else if you're not sure. Right. I mean, oh, it, I was second shooting a wedding with um, another photographer, so I was assisting her, and one of the um, wedding guests called me chocolate and was going off on, oh, yeah, I've got black friends, and, you know, I eat rice and peas, and I was just, oh, I was so shocked. And <laughs> I was like... I just held my breath because I thought to myself, this is not my wedding. And, you know, I didn't want to get her into trouble, but equally I was thinking, this is really, really wrong that this guy's talking to me like this. And in the end, I just walked away. She was there, she heard it, and she didn't know what to say. She was white. Yeah. And I was probably, out of that whole wedding party, I don't think there was three black people, including me. And in fact, that's, it's one of the things that I, I struggle with within photography. Because especially as like with weddings, you know, people see me and, you know, I've had someone ask me like, oh, are you the help? I'm like, mm. um, I'm a photographer and I'm, this is my colleague. You know, I'm not the help. I'm paid to be here. You know, right. this is my choice to be here. I'm choosing to be here. I wasn't here by force or, you know, people just don't think, you know, or I've had um, people not talk to me you know while I'm working at a wedding because I'm the black girl and they don't know what I'm gonna be like or something even though you know I introduced myself and I always I, I enjoyed weddings but I always got this kind of waves of anxiety before I walk into the room because I think what are people gonna think when they see me am I dressed okay you know trying to and it's not how I dress yeah. <laughs> it's not how I speak it's the color of my skin I know that some people are going to kind of find that strange that there's, oh my gosh, this, you know, and they don't know how to interact with me, but I'm, I'm just a different colour. Not just right. a different colour, but, you know, I'm not any different to any of you in here, but it's, it's just weird. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, weird. I think that that's a, that like the anxiety that you feel before you walk in. I think that's something that we have all experienced Definitely. as Black women, right? Yeah. Um, because uh, last summer I, I went to an in-person college class, right? I take online college classes. Mm -hmm. um, I went to an in-person, like five-day seminar, and I had those same sort of feelings, right? Because, mm -hmm. because I knew that when I walked into that room, that I might be the only Black person in the room, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that, that causes attention on me, you know? Yeah. Unwanted. And, completely unwanted. Uh, right? And so it's like, it's so uncomfortable to walk in until you walk in and have like made rounds and, you know, figured out like your place. But I think mm -hmm. that we've all experienced that at some point, whether it's employment or a class or, you know, high school for me, I was in advanced placement classes. And so um, I was usually the only black person in those classes. Mm -hmm. And it's like every single school year, it's like walking into that situation and like being uncomfortable, like I can still go back to that, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and like feel those feelings, which is, it shouldn't ever be like that. Like I shouldn't have anxiety about walking into a room. Yeah, completely, completely understand. And yeah, I still get that now. I think I almost talk myself out of things because I don't like how it makes me feel. Yeah. And I feel like because I'm feeling like that, that people will know <laughs> I'm feeling like, right. I mean, it gets worse. 
<laughs> and then you're anxious about people knowing that you're anxious about being there and yeah and, 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 then, just, and then you're oh, anxious about being anxious that you think that people are going to be it just carries on <laughs> doesn't it or even like breastfeeding yeah you know? when i am um, and um, i i really don't care now if my kid's hungry i'm gonna breastfeed her but um when i had my first daughter <laughs> um part of my fear about breastfeeding in public wasn't necessarily because i'm breastfeeding in public it's because i'm black and because you're black and breastfeeding in public yeah yeah so it was like a, a a double whammy in a way that you know i think what are people gonna think like oh my god not only is she breastfeeding she's black <laughs> like black people don't black people don't breastfeed do they i know no. right god i'm like oh no. like everyone breastfeeds like come on you know i know <laughs> and i think that like you know breastfeeding is a really interesting topic right because mm-hmm there's been this push for more representation mm-hmm. in current advertising for breastfeeding, right? So like pamphlets that you get at the doctors and yeah. on TV, things like that. And I think that we are missing the historical context that comes with that. Mm-hmm. You know, the push for people not to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. People, black people not to breastfeed, you yeah. know, in particular. And the I don't know the shame I think that comes with it from our elders you know like we're not poor we can afford formula you know yeah, yeah we can but like I want to breastfeed my kid so yeah that's my choice and that's okay and it doesn't mean that you know I'm less than or yeah and I think that there is a whole like stigma that we're working i feel like you know the black breastfeeding community really is working to erase that stigma mm. but i think that there is a stigma that's attached to breastfeeding as a black person yeah you know and i think that it again i think it goes back to some anti-blackness you know Definitely. i think that it's all rooted in anti-black racism I completely agree. you know like the slaves had to feed the master's kids before they could feed their own and that whole like connection to slavery like why would you want to go back there as a black person and Mm. you know you can afford to feed your kid you can afford to buy food for your kids and stuff like this and you know I remember one time that when my dad um my dad is like super black (laughs) like he's like deep dark black like he's black and he's proud and um love him for that you know, yeah. and like we grew up in like the black church, you know, my, <laughs> my grandpa was, is, was a pastor in Yoakum, Texas, which like this little wow. tiny small town. And so, you know, Southern Baptist, all of this. And so it's always like, you know, go into those churches and there's always food and stuff. And <laughs> I remember, um, you know, cause that's church and food, like it goes together, yeah, you know, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I remember one time um, we had gone down to like this, his, my grandpa's church and I think my brother asked if my dad has ever had chitlins. And so like chitlins are like intestines, right? <laughs> or like whatever. I don't really know what they are. <laughs> they smell bad when they're cooking, you know. <laughs> but um, pretty sure I should look it up um, <laughs> what, what they come from. But um, 
but he said, you know, why would I eat like the off cuts mm-hmm. when I can afford to buy the animal? You know, mm-hmm. so he he would say the same things about like pig ears and um, like trotters and liver and all of this. He's like, why would I eat this awful mm-hmm. when I can buy the animal? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. he said, and I remember it was so clearly. He's like, I said, he said, I'm not a slave. <laughs> oh my god! Like, but it's true. You know, I think that there's there's kind of that like connection to to slavery through those yeah. things yeah you know and and how far removed like we want to be from that and I'm like but you can't really remove it you no, know like not. it is just part yeah. of us yeah That's you know I have to look it up for the the listener <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they have the intestines of a pig <laughs> Wow. So, so there you go yeah and it, I mean it's the same with like gizzards and stuff like mm-hmm. yeah it's, it all is like you know I didn't ever try any I was never that brave you know because <laughs> I didn't you know I was just like because I because I was just like it doesn't smell like nice when it's cooking and stuff but like those connections those things those recipes they all come from our history mm-hmm. and there's something so poignant about cooking the way that our ancestors cooked mm-hmm. you know and like eating yeah. those foods and having that connection and I do think that that's what soul food is I think yeah. that it is literally like the ancestors going make this <laughs> you know it is. the thing like when you're cooking and you know you seasoning your food and you just know I always liken it to your ancestors saying yeah that's good yeah right because they they do like the i feel like the ancestors do just like talk through us Mm. you know and i'm like that is just so it's really beautiful Mm -hmm. that we're here in this time you know yeah and that we are able to have the things that we have and connect with the people that we connect with and i think that the ancestors made this revolution happen I really do. Definitely. I think that they were just like felt it inside. So we were like, wait, oh well, this is you know, like I talked about it with them my family and we were all kind of saying, gosh, it feels something feels different. Everyone could kind of feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like, you know, you know, often we joke about the ancestors, but I do think that the ancestors like really do communicate with us. Like their spirits are here. Mm-hmm. And that they are communicating with us through the things that they're showing us, you know, and yeah. the fact that this has grown into a global thing where, mm-hmm. you know, people in New Zealand are doing the hawker outside of the U.S. Oh, embassy. Incredible. Like how moving was that and how like, you know, and how everyone in, I'm so proud of the U.K. for everyone coming together and doing all of these United stands with the United States. And, you know, it's watching people like my, even my small town in Oklahoma having mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah. You know, I live in the whitest part of the country and, you know, people were still out there, you know, yeah. it might've only been 10 of them, but you know, 10 is more than zero. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's like, there's just something, there is, there is something different about this time. Mm. And I think that in order for this time to happen, 
everything that led up to this time had to happen. Does, mm. does that make sense? Yeah. At this particular time with this pandemic going on, yeah. like there's some, it was basically like 2020 hit the reset button. Oh, completely. It's like, you know, right. <laughs> let's start again, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's start from the beginning. Let's thin the herd. And then also Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, so you know. <laughs> it's just so, it's so beautiful. Like it's such a beautiful time, you know, of seeing people really, one, like I'm seeing white people wake up for the first time. Yeah. And that has been, that's been amazing to see because, you know, and we know that they're not, not a lot, they're not intentionally racist, but kind of didn't understand yeah. their privilege. Yeah, and then and think, like, wow, oh my God, I'm so sorry because I didn't realize that in all this time I've benefited from being white and I completely ignored issues that affected people that weren't white because they would never, ever have an impact on my own life. Yeah. And it's like, my gosh, I could cry. I've been saying this for ages. You know? I know. Like, oh my gosh, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the world, you know? Um, and then the, the sleeping people, um, I've had enough of them. And so I've unfriended people and I've unfollowed people on Instagram. and Definitely. Like, you know, because right now for for us, for black women in the space, right? Like mm -hmm. we're having so many conversations all the time about this It's stuff. really tiring. So tiring. It's a you lot. Know? It's There's, so, so much. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of, um, I liken it to something that Austin Channing Brown says in her book about, mm -hmm. um, the book's called I'm Still Here, but she talks about how um, she's stopped accepting people's white guilt. So, cause they would usually like her and a colleague, they would, um, mm -hmm. give a presentation and everyone would be like, would be awake. Right. And they would say, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I can't believe this one time I did this thing and, you know, offload their, their mm -hmm. guilt on you. And so instead of taking it, she turns it around and she says, well, what are you going to do differently now? Mm-hmm. You know? Really yeah, because, because that is taking the load off of us. Yeah. And putting the onus on those people. Okay, you did a bad thing. I've acknowledged that you did that thing. You've mm -hmm. acknowledged that you did that thing. What's gonna change? Yeah. And I think that that is like just a really great way to to lessen our burden as yeah. black women to really embrace boundaries mm -hmm. you know I've Definitely. learned so much about boundaries in this time yeah and the fact that I don't have to respond to everyone yeah I completely agree I kind of went through a, a, a phase almost where I felt like I had to reply to everyone who was asking about you know what does this mean and how can I change this and what would you recommend um and I found myself spending so much time trying to help them. And then I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. There's Google. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. You know? Here's, here's some books. <clears throat> so I have this, yeah. I have this, um, like list of books that I just 
literally like go into my notes and copy and paste when people send me questions that you can find the answers to. And I think it's just like understanding that for us, it's like, yeah, being part of the revolution is answering questions and talking to people. And, Mm -hmm. but I think that also part of it is rest, finding things that you're joyous about. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this is why I'm so happy that your photography studio is back open. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's something that I know that you find joy in, you know, for, and, you know, starting this podcast is something that brings me joy, you know, and I'm hoping that through having these conversations that we've just had and you know the upcoming conversations that other people and I are going to have that this is just just ends up being a really safe place for people to spend an hour of the day mm-hmm. just listening to a couple of people talk you know yeah. and this is education without it really being work you know mm-hmm. like yeah. for us it's like we have these conversations all the time just this time we oh. record it you know and it's so comfortable you know yeah and I think that it's just like you know for me connecting with with these friends that I've had online because I consider all of you to be very close friends you know Um, (laughs) so that being able to connect in this way and have these conversations at this time is just so Mm -hmm. important like the things that we're sharing is they're so important. Our voices are so important. Our voices are the way that we change things. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just, you know, one person listens to our podcast and says, yeah, that, that makes sense. Or, well, I never thought about it like that. That's enough for me. Definitely. Absolutely. It's always, I always like to think that too, just one person if they can take something away and think differently or go and find out more and learn more, then that's a good thing. Cause it only takes one, doesn't it really? It does. And you know, one person can start a revolution as we saw, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the death of George Floyd was something that just was the, the straw that broke the camel's back as they say, Yeah. you know, we, cause we've been experiencing this stuff for so long. Mm-hmm. But it was that moment that people woke up. So I think one person started a revolution. Definitely. So I like to always close with a couple of random questions for you. <laughs> one's kind of fun and one's pretty, pretty big. But what's something that you don't find weird that other people find weird? Um, I guess. Oh, that's a good one. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the harder question. Um, I guess, like, <laughs> so silly. Hey, the sillier the better. <laughs> um, you know, like, if you're eating chocolate, like, rather than just eat it normally, like, sometimes I'll nibble around the edges. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do that too, but people do think it's weird, don't they? People really yeah. do think it's weird. They're like, just eat it. Like, no, this is, this. I'm enjoying it, leave me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then what is something that you wish for? Um, yeah, that is a really tough question. Um, well, I guess after losing my mom last year, I feel like 
because she was ill the year before, but kind of recovered and we thought everything was behind us. Like the whole year just went so quickly. Now I look back and I think, oh my gosh, I wish I'd kind of, and I feel like I made the most of, of the time, but I, there's always, I always feel like there's more I could yeah. have done. So I wish I'd have done more. I wish we'd have done more things together. Yeah. Um, and not even necessarily big things, you know? Yeah, just like, um, you know, talks and hanging out. and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't much like... good. Yeah. But yeah, there's always going to be, I wish I did, isn't there, I guess. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming on and having well, this conversation. Thanks for inviting me, actually. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, like, this is just so nice. And I've just really enjoyed learning more about your experience and how things land for you and I really really just appreciate you keep doing the amazing work that you're doing and I'll add in the show notes how people can find you to look at how beautiful your pictures are because they are (laughs) and I'm like you know secondhand like super proud and brag about you all the time to people and friends and you know, oh, share your work and stuff with everyone. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, because I feel like it brings you so much joy and it comes across in, in the photos. And then that brings me joy to see my friends having joy, you know? Yeah. So thank just thank you so much for being my friend, for coming on here and just being real and raw here. Thank you for having me. I've, honestly, I've really, really enjoyed it. Just to be able to freely talk about you know things that are happening around us and yeah just seeing how even though there are differences in in our life experiences just how similar they are at the same time yeah there's Um, a lot of agreeing here huh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I feel that too yeah (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with you there it's crazy isn't it Um, it is it is it's but it's just been so amazing so just thank you so much and and thank you for staying safe. Yes, it's, of course. Yes, the ancestors were like, you have to do this. And, you know, I, we, make, we, we make these jokes about the ancestors, but I had an idea for another podcast and my co-host fell, fell through. And so that's like, if that's not a sign that this is the time to, for my voice um, and other people who I connect with's voices to be heard, mm-hmm. then what is? Amazing.